Well, turn your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and we're doing a series called Reflection, and it has been a number, series of messages looking at the life of Christ to compel us to follow Jesus as our role model. I mean, no, there's nobody better to imitate than Jesus. I mean, I want to think the way Christ thinks. I want to talk like he talked. I want to value what he valued. I want him to be first in everything. Hey, uh, how many people have an Android phone? Let me see your hand here with technology. Well, we just got a church app that works on the Android phone. You can listen to the messages. You can watch them. Uh, we got our radio, our bulletin, our church news, Bible guide. You just go to the uh, marketplace and type in Church on the Rock, Texarkana, just like the iPhone store, taking one more way to bring the gospel literally a little bit farther. <coughs> last week, we talked about Jesus and the 40-day temptation. How many were here last week? Yeah. Listen, there's something about... When temptation comes, be able to recognize where it's coming from and don't let the devil trip you up. How many know temptation is like a baited fish hook? When I was a boy, I loved to fish, but I never could understand. Well, how, that fish, obviously, he doesn't have a brain like we do because here's this big old hook, a gold hook with a minnow on it, and he goes crazy, and before you know he's hooked. Well, that's what temptation is. It's a trap. It's a, it's a way that the devil tricks you to try to get you entangled in sin because if he can entangle you in sin, he can literally destroy your life. Well, Jesus was our example, and we looked at how Jesus handled it. And when Jesus faced temptation, what did he tell the devil? You remember? Hit the road, Jack. Don't come back to the road. Right. Everybody say, hit the road, Jack. All right, so that's what Jesus told the devil. Now, look with me, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Last week, we looked at this first temptation. And that was when Jesus was tempted to cause the stones to become bread. And the basis of that temptation was, is that Satan tried to tempt Jesus to, to do his own thing. He wanted him to act independently of God. Now, that's a big deal because the first temptation Christ faced was not over, you know, liquor. It was not over wealth. It was not over sex or anything like that. It was trying to get Jesus to act independently of the will of God. And that's the same thing he comes to us with. The second temptation was a temptation of presumption. Cast yourself off this temple. The angels will catch you. Satan misquoted the Bible. And the idea with presumption is he tries to get us to do things. For example, uh, you know, you go out and buy a brand new car on impulse and just say, well, I'm trusting God's going to help me pay for it. And then you suffer for the next, what, six years if you got a 72-month note regretting it most of the time, and you acted presumptuously. Well, it's a temptation to try to trip you up. Now, this morning's one uh, message has to do with what we're going to call worldliness. Worldliness. Jesus, Satan tried to get, tell Jesus, everything the world has to offer, I'll give you. Now, let's go ahead and just read the passage. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. He took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. It's like in a moment of time, and we don't know how this happened because technically there's not a mountain that's high enough for Jesus to see the whole world there. But perhaps it's a picture of how Satan came to his mind in a flash of time and, and showed him everything from what we might call the skyline of San Francisco to the casinos of Las Vegas to the, the lights on Broadway in New York and all the, the capitals of the world, uh, yachts that are on the ocean in the Mediterranean, large houses that are in the mountains on ski slopes, everything the world has to offer, limousines that pick you up from your own private jet, uh, all the things, uh, large diamonds, no zircons there, but I mean the real thing. 
And uh, Satan showed him all this. He showed him what we would understand today as, as power, as fame, and as wealth. These three great things he came to Jesus. And Satan said these words, verse 9, All this I will give you if you fall down and... Now, Satan wasn't asking that Jesus would clap his hands or lift their hands. I mean, worship is a bit more than that. Worship is what Satan was literally saying is, make me first. Serve me. Take my values and let them be your own values. Do things the way that I want you to do them. Take on the philosophy of the world. Act, act like the world acts, not like me, and I'll make it worth your while. I'll make you rich and famous. And Jesus, verse 10, said, away from me, Satan. Other translation says, get out of here, Satan. Beat it, Satan. So literally, this third temptation is Jesus was being tempted by Satan with the best the world had to offer. Now, I want to tell you up front, this is going to be a very personal message. It's going to be very personal because I am hoping that this will challenge you to think. I have been thinking about this all week, and I've come to the conclusion in my own life the question is not, am I worldly or am I not worldly? The question I'm asking myself is, how worldly am I? How much of the influence of the things of this world have captured my heart? Because this is what's going to be the nucleus of this message. As I explore this with you, and it's going to take a while to kind of understand what worldliness is, because it's all around us. It's an abstract term. It's hard to know. You know, it's easy for me to look at you and let's say in the physical realm, the material realm, if you have a nicer car, a bigger house, or this or that, then I can, it's easy for me to say, well, you're worldly. But worldliness is not about what you have. It's about your heart. Let me say it again. Worldliness is not about what you have. You can take two people. You can take, uh, you can take a lady and let's say she has a beautiful pear-shaped two-carat diamond and all the women said, I wish it were me. And she can be there, and then another gal that's got a two car or four carat zircon, and the zircon lady can be worldly, come on. But the gal with the diamond may not be. You can't outwardly look at a person based on what they have and say this one's worldly and this one's not, because worldliness is about what consumes you. This gal with the zircon, listen, if she'll do anything to get a real diamond, if she'll marry anyone, if she'll make any sacrifice, if she'll do, get as much education as she has to, because that's what it takes to make me happy. Can I suggest maybe there's a hint of worldliness? And I'm going to do more talking about duck decoys and turkey hunting today because that's my thing. That's where my passions and temptations are. And, you know, that takes a lot of my extra time and energy and money. I'll ask you the question like I asked myself, how many decoys hanging in the garage are enough? Somebody please help me. Tell me at least four or five bags, all right? Uh, how many shotguns are enough? Uh, where am I deriving my identity? Do I feel good about myself only if the, the words inside my, come on, suit jacket are the right words? I mean, if it doesn't say blank, blank, and blank, come on. Yeah, they're all made in Korea or Japan or Mexico or somewhere. It's just the label that's different. Now, you ladies are looking with scorn down your glasses. Let me see a purse here. Someone let me see a purse. Any purse will do. Girl, that's a suitcase. That's not a purse. God. Do, how do you do this? Give, give me another one. The balance. Okay. All right. So, all right. That's a little better. Okay. All right. 
I want you to imagine that these are the same purses. Just for in just a second. What's the hottest purse on the market right now? Come on, don't be so... Who? Was that a man? How do you know? Okay. For sake of conversation, a Gucci bag. Now, this, what's a Gucci bag cost, sir? $600. He may know a little more here. This is a $600 Gucci. And this is a Korean knockoff for how much? All right, 40 bucks. If you only feel good if you have one of these, you may be. Because our identity as Christians can't be in what we have. Come on, it's in our identity with Christ. But the marketers throw it out because they want your money. But somehow the world pulls on us. And, and again, as I'm talking this morning, I, I, I certainly don't want to condemn you. I'm not going to tell you how big a house you can have or anything like that. But I want to challenge you to think this morning about the influence of the world in, my, in our lives. Jesus warned us, Matthew chapter 6, he said, No man can serve two masters. Now, you may feel like you're independent. You may feel like nobody tells you what to do. But Jesus said you're gonna, you have a master in your life. Jesus said this. He said the person will hate the one and love the other. You'll follow one and refuse to follow the other. Now, say this last part with me. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. You cannot serve God. And it doesn't say that it's difficult to do. You can't. Now, the issue here is our heart. Great commandment. Remember, Jesus told us was to... Love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So if Jesus said to love with all your heart, is it possible that we can have a portion of our heart that loves God and a portion of our heart that loves something else? And I don't mean the feeling of love or what we say, but our love is evidenced by what we do, where our time goes, where our money goes, where our passion is. See, it's an evidence of our heart. And, and, and this phrase that's translated, translated worldly riches uh, older translations you, uh, translate the word mammon, and they literally leave that word there. That word mammon uh, was a picture of the, it was personified riches as an evil spirit. And it was the influence, the potential influ evil influence of worldly wealth, that worldly wealth, power, and fame can bring a person's life. Now let me be quick to say this. I am not telling you this morning that wealth is bad. Listen, wealth is a good thing. Wealth is neither moral or immoral, it is amoral, which simply means what you do and your motivations with it can either do things that are, 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 are benefiting the kingdom of God, uh, things that are blessing you and your family and other people, or they can be things that are given to worldly pursuits, things that are destroying people's lives, things that give people a sense of identity apart from God. So wealth, money in and of itself is not evil, but yet it can become a tool to produce evil. Now, the world, as we're talking about in this morning's message, has to do with fame, a famous person. And I want to tell you, how many know it takes money for fame to do its thing? Powerful people, and how many know it takes money for people to exercise their power? So you may not be drawn by money, I mean by uh, power or fame, but yet this central thing that binds us, money can be a God in our life. It is, in my opinion, one of the greatest sources of temptation because how many know if Jesus was tempted by Satan, how many know I can be as well? So again, this may be a little bit confusing. I want you to feel a little uncomfortable, not because I'm making you feel bad, but I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to look in the mirror of your soul and ask the honest question, how worldly might I be? Punch your neighbor and say, I think it's going to be good this morning. 
Or you might tell your neighbor, I wish we'd have gone somewhere else today. But the good news is it'll be gone in 30 minutes. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus warned us about worldly temptation. He warned us the parable of the sower, Matthew 13 verse 3. Jesus told them many things in parables or stories. His first one that he said, he said, a sower went out to sow. Now, I'm sure you, if you know much about the Bible, you've heard this. Four kind, there's seed, and the seed is the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's God's truth to you. There are four types of soil where the seed falls. And those soils represent our hearts. The first part of the parable, it talked about seed that was sown by the wayside. In other words, it just kind of fell there. It didn't get attention. The bird came and ate it up. How I many know you have to cover up seed? You have to nurture it. The second kind of seed was sown in a rocky place, in other words, on the path. Like, how in the world can weeds grow better on, my, uh, better on my sidewalk than it does in the yard? I mean, I don't understand it. But a seed can get there, just a little bit of dirt, but when it gets real hot outside, it wilts. Well, Jesus said that's like a person who hears the Word of God. He doesn't put down roots. When trouble or persecution becomes from the Word of God, he falls away. And then he tells about our application, verse 7, about seeds that fell among thorns... And the thorns grew up and choked them. So thorns are things that come after God. It's things that grow up in the world. Imagine a garden. If you know much about gardening, it starts out, it looks so good. Everything has been disked up and planted. You've got your tomato plants there, and you've got your beans and everything else. But the problem is weeds begin to come up. And how many know weeds always grow faster than tomatoes? And before you know it, all the tomatoes are destroyed because the weeds came up. Well, this is the picture. Now, he explains it in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears God's word. But notice what's it say? The cares of the world. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Cares of the world. How many know what we're talking about this morning is not hideous, it's not evil, uh, the devil doesn't have a pitchfork and horns, it's not, you know, had black and all that. This is just daily life. One of our greatest complications in life is the material world. Probably 10 years ago, I had one of the biggest surprises of my life. I, I, the church gave me a, a duck hunting boat for 10 years of being here, and I loved to duck hunt. And, and anyway, after church, went outside, and there's this beautiful boat, and blah, 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 you know, it's just glorious. But I want to tell you, it takes a lot of the cares of the world to take care of that boat. 25 bucks a month to insure it. Doesn't matter that I hadn't used it in a year. 25 bucks a month to insure it. 75 bucks to make sure that the little stickers are current on the thing. Uh, you got to cover it up because if you don't cover it up, the sun will mess up the camo paint that you worked so hard to get. Are you with me this morning? And your cover is going to rot every few years, so you got to get another one. Unless you build a garage, and you can't build a bigger garage because they don't allow it, you know, where you live. So you got to buy a new house and get a bigger garage for this boat that was given to you. And you don't have to use it very often around here before the prop gets bent up, and it's only a couple hundred bucks to recondition the prop every time. So what I'm telling you is the cares of the world will consume you. Boats are not bad. I'm just telling you it's a care, and you can only have so many cares in your life before your life is filled up. And if you're not careful, this is the danger of the morning's message. Worldliness can squeeze God out of your life because you spend all your time taking care of your stuff. What's, what's better, a small house or a big house? Well, it depends how much you want to clean. It, it, it depends. How, what are you going to pay in property taxes? Now, listen, 
I, I, I hope you can have as big a house as you want. This is not to say big is bad and small is better. But it simply say the bigger it is, the more it takes to take care of it. And if you need to help some clean it, the bigger it is, the more it's going to cost you. And the more it's going to cost to take, you know, to, to, to heat that thing in the wintertime and all that. That's the cares of the world. So what I want you to see in this message, I'm not talking about something that's evil and bad. I'm talking about what we're just living in every day. And Satan wants to pile your plate as high as he can to keep you distracted from kingdom work. The deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches simply means that, that I'll be happier if I have more and if I can have this. It's a lie. It's a trick that's talking to you. That Whether it's your coat, what it says inside the coat or your purse, or, or what it, if you have a look, if you only have a certain kind of car, or if you're only able to dress a certain way, that's what's going to make me accepted, and that's when I'm going to be happy. My friend, it is deceitful. Listen, some of the most miserable people I know are people that have wealth. So, well, I'd like to give it a try. Well, I'd like to give it a try too. But here's what people that have a lot of wealth say. Everybody wants my money. Everybody's in relationship with me for their Christmas present. It's the truth. If you have money, other people want to take it away from you. I mean, it's just the world. But it, the promise was that if you went and you, let me say, got your doctorate degree, and if you did all these things, and you studied, and you invested, and you blah, 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 and you worked as a partner for 60 hours a week, when you arrived, you'd be happy. I'm telling you, the deceitfulness of wealth will take decades of your life from you, and when you get there, you'll find it's as empty as it was when you were poor. Because happiness is not found in what you have. Happiness is found in the overflow of your heart. And that's where peace comes and joy comes. And, and that's where a sense of fulfillment comes as you're rightly related to God. Now, let me say this. If God can trust you with wealth, He can do great things through your life. So this is a, not an either or. It's what's going on in our heart. I told you it was going to be good this morning. What is the world, though? What is it? There's a number of Greek words that are translated in your English Bibles, world. Sometimes it refers to the earth. Sometimes it refers to people. John 3, 16, for God so... It's not the planet earth like extreme environmentalists that are worshiping the earth. That, by the way, did you know the Bible says one day the earth is going to be destroyed and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? Do your best to take care of this one, but don't worship the earth. Well, listen, the world in this context is, is the word cosmos, which refers to the godless world system. The godless world system that's hostile towards God under the control of Satan. Did you know that Satan is in control of much of what goes on in this world? In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam dominion over the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, they turned it over to Satan. And the New Testament in Ephesians 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, he is the God with a little g of this world. And John 12 said he's the prince of the earth. Well, Satan has some level of control, and he's behind the systems, the values that are making this world work. When you look at what's going on in Washington, D.C., and our nation is bankrupting itself, and they're lying and attacking, can I tell you, the devil is behind that. And the devil's not a Democrat or Republican. He's Democrats and Republicans. I mean, people that are being used, come on, used in this system of corruption. Now, how do I know if I'm worldly? That's a good question. I've been thinking about this all week. Because you know, most, uh, most messages, most uh, sermons are simply a, a, a guy talking to himself in the presence of other people. You do realize it, don't you? How do you know if you're worldly? 
Well, again, it's not by the size of the house or the car. It's by your heart. Now, there's evidences, though, of our heart. Now, if I'm Madonna and I sing, uh, what's that song, Material? How did you know that? I had to look it up on YouTube. A material girl in a material world, and she's quite proud of it as she, you know, flaunts her diamonds that are there. And that's pretty easy to figure out if you're worldly there, but how do I know if I'm worldly? Let me throw out just a few things. How about if I know more about the batting averages of the St. Louis Cardinals who just won the World Series than I, if I can name every, every player and all their stats, but I can't name the four Gospels, what would you say you are? Maybe. Maybe a little worldly. That doesn't mean you're bad, but it just means the world. Now, are baseball scores wrong? No. No. Christians are, should be influencing everywhere. But if the scales are tipped like that, how about if the Lord, how about let's say I got a $100 bill in my pocket and there's this brand new duck decoy. I, I was going to pick on the sale of boots that they're having in town here because, I mean, no, you just absolutely can't wear the same boots you wore last year. Because, and it's not because they're tore up or don't fit or they're the wrong color, it's just they're out of style anymore. Please don't turn me off and run away and just say that I'm the Antichrist talking. I, I, listen. If you can do both, if the missionary comes in, the Lord says, I want you to give him that $100. If you can give him the $100 because the Lord said, come on, this is not the preacher talking, but because the Lord prompted you to do it, if you can, if you can give that missionary $100 and buy the boots, go buy them. But if you have to choose between the two and you choose to buy the boots, what are you? I didn't say it, they said it. How about if all your favorite songs are secular songs? You know, how about if it's Saturday, big game, or Friday night, whatever, big game, all the friends are going, but earlier in the week someone had called you to go to the homeless shelter and feed and you felt the Lord wanted you to go, but when game time came, you went to the game. What would you be? Maybe. Now listen, games are not bad. You can go to the homeless shelter seven days a week, but if your heart's not right, you're wasting your time. So it's not, what, it's not just, you know, what everybody sees. It's my heart. But there are some evidences. Again, I've been asking myself the question this week, not, how, not uh, uh, am I worldly or not, but how worldly am I? Every time I get a Cabela's catalog in the mail, I realize there's some things that I don't have that will make me happy. I didn't even know they made such things. But when the catalog showed it, come on. Now, is anything wrong with those things? Well, let me give you an example for you that are illiterate when it comes to the modern techniques of duck hunting. When I was a boy, you wanted movement in your decoys. When it's still, you had a little string and you tied it and you pulled it a little bit when the little ducky wasn't working. You don't have to do that today. Listen, 200 bucks, my friend, will buy a duck that flaps its wings, that shoots water out of its rear, and, I mean, it just, it just does everything. And there's not just one to choose from, there's four or five to choose from. And you want to get the right one, so you get in your car and drive to Stuttgart, Arkansas, and go to Max Prairie Wings to test them out. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, unless it consumes your heart. You can get a duck that flaps its wings. 
175 bucks. It's sitting there. It's got batteries in it. It's flapping its wings. You have to pay more if you want the one that has a little auto thing on it. But you can get it, and it's spinning, spinning, spinning. It's in the water, emulate, you know, like that. Well, guess what they had this year? They had a deal that had, would hold six of those babies up in the air. You say, well, Karen, our preacher, what's wrong with him? What do you collect? What? You know what I have come to the conclusion? Every time I go to the store, I'm purchasing a future garage sale item. Is it anything wrong with that? No. But if it squeezes God out of your life, the devil is winning in the tempting. I am preaching so much better. You guys are doing better than the last service, so they were just like, they were, I don't know, they were backslidden, I think. First, first John chapter 2. Now, this is a big verse here. I can't get away from this. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus said, don't love this world, or first John, rather, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. When you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father. You know Elvis Presley started... How many like Elvis Presley? Everybody who said that. All right. Elvis Presley died 30 years ago. You know he started out singing gospel songs? He died from a drug overdose in the lap of luxury, singing about doing it my way. What happened? The world got a hold of him. Imagine his influence he could have had. Look at Michael Jackson. I don't know his early religious upbringing, but how could one guy have so much influence on the world? And do you think they care about Michael's death today? Bottom line, come on. Somebody's just making money off Mikey all his days. But you can have this great, great talent in life, and if you give it to the world, you've wasted your life. But Satan will offer you fame. He will offer you power. He'll offer you the potential for wealth. But if you're not careful, it's a baited fishing hook. And it has the potential to destroy your life. A politician that wants power starts out in the lower rungs of politics, maybe locally or state level. And at that period of time, they're standing for the right to life. They're standing for the unborn. Vice President Al Gore was like that. I believe President Clinton was like that. But when they get to the federal level, come on, and their political party embraces abortion, I've got to change my values so I can get the votes and stay in power. That is worldly. So worldly is not just money and things. It is a value system that we choose God's way, come on, or the ways of the world. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Choose God's way. Choose God's way. Satan will give you want, but what you want, but it will cost you more than you want to pay. Let me say it again. Satan will give you what you want. If you want the limo ride, if you want the two-carat diamond, if you want whatever you... He may well give it to you, but it could cost you more than you want to pay. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus asked the question, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? James 4 told us, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an... Do you realize how strong that language is? Because it is idolatrous. See, when we think of idols, we think of little Buddhas in Chinese restaurants. It's not that way. An idol is something that's more important in your life. Do you realize there are hunting uh, uh, patterns, camo patterns, one called obsession? 
And it is an addiction. It is an obsession. Sports, anything. You, you get on the track of obsession or addiction, you're this far away from idolatry. Now, uh, are hunting shows bad that wear as obsession? No, but I'm telling you, your heart could be the victim. Because we're created in such a way that we just, we want these things, we gravitate towards them. Let me wrap up. First, First Chronicles 29. Now let me say this again, kind of a balance. Worldliness is not about what we have. It's about what consumes our heart. Because friends, do you know that wealth and power can be used to advance the kingdom of God? Listen to David. When we think of David, what scripture reminds David was described as what in the Bible? A man? A man after God's own heart. So his heart was for God. First Chronicles 29.3 says, I'm so devoted to the temple of God. Now he's getting ready to build the temple. I'm giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. All of it, he said. But do you know he had 112 tons of gold? At Friday's price of $17.56 an ounce, that is $7 billion with a B dollars. $7 billion of gold and $287 million of silver. But what did he do with it? He put it into the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. Not the problem, but the issue. If God can give you things, meet your needs, let you enjoy it, because aren't you glad 1 Timothy 6 says that God gives us wealth and things to enjoy, but it doesn't stop there 100%. It, some of it channels out of my life, come on, to build the kingdom of God, to help the poor, to help the needy, to fund God's work. You know, Jesus, when he borrowed a tomb for three days, a wealthy man gave him a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea. The disciples didn't have, come on, they had walked away from their professions, but God had put wealth in somebody's hand. Can I tell you, God can use your wealth in a powerful way if he can trust you with it. It'll either implode on you or the kingdom will explode if you're trustworthy. Come on, and if you're trustworthy, he may give you more. He may get, listen, a couple hundred thousand dollars today could erect a metal building for 4,000 Haitians in the, nation, in the state of the nation of Haiti, just south of us. If God can trust us with wealth, God can do great things through us. So it's not a good or a bad. It's what is going on in our heart and who or what is consuming the passions of my life. You're getting quiet on me. Couple more scriptures here. If we love now, the Bible also says in Deuteronomy eight eighteen that God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. So listen, God's blessing can put it in your hand, but Satan will pervert it to destroy your life. Let's head home. Let's head to head home on this one. If we love wealth more than God, it will destroy us. First Timothy six ten. Does it say money causes all kinds of evil? No. The love of money. This, again, is going to the heart, where my passions are. I cannot passionately love multiple things. I either have to love God or not. And, and, and Timothy said, listen, money can corrupt you. Some people have left the faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very good to me. We're talking eternity, friend, for a couple bucks. And, and, and in case you don't know this, everything you have when you die is going to go to somebody else. You cannot take it with you. Nothing. But most people in this world live like that's the object of life. Because money and things give them their identity, an illusion of control, and a sense that I can take care of myself. My friend, just like that, it's all gone. You've wasted your life. They've left the faith because they wanted to get more money. They've caused themselves much sorrow. What if I wanted to advance the kingdom more and God just blessed me and I had more? 
Is it possible that if Jesus was my priority, that God could bless me with more and, and, and these other things would fall in place? Well, I think it is. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this. Mark 10, verse 17. There's a story about a rich young man. This rich young guy was probably like most of us in this room today because, you know, even a tither can be worldly. Worldliness is not just about, it's about our heart. Well, this guy came to Jesus and said, hey, what do I have to do for eternal life? And you know what Jesus told him? Jesus said, listen, I want you, well, I asked about the commandments first. He said, oh, I've obeyed all those from my youth. Now, I couldn't say that. I've obeyed all the commandments from my youth. Well, then the conversation goes further, and Jesus said, okay, you lack one thing. Take what you have, I want you to sell it all. Give it to the poor, and then follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And the Bible says that man went away sad because he had great possessions. The more you have, the more potential it has to corrupt your life if you're not continually and deliberately submitted to Christ. And then Jesus said this big thing. He said how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So again, wealth is not bad. But when it falls into our hands, come on, Satan can try to seduce our heart. Let me close with this kind of a perspective for you. I hope you'll think about this. I hope you felt a little uncomfortable today. Not because I tried to make you uncomfortable, but because, I mean, the Bible just, it just does that. When truth confronts us, I'm asking myself, not am I worldly or not, I'm saying, how worldly am I? Let me ask you this question. How, how, how many, how many uh, go to work for money? All right. No argument from me that you need money. Everybody that works on your church staff here uh, looks for Pat. Pat Stewart is the hero on the 15th and 30th of the month. But let me throw this out as a higher reason you work. Don't work for money. Work because your job is a platform for you to reach people for Christ. Now think about this. What's first? Do I get up and go? Listen, many of you work in jobs that you hate. Can I tell you a way to change that? If God led you to that job, and that's pretty key, if God led you to the job and you're there in kingdom purpose, see that that's your greatest platform of ministry. You'll minister to more people where you work at Hobby Lobby than I will do personally. I, I, for me, most of those people, I'll never know them. Customers and employees alike. But see, it's a platform. Here's the challenge for the Christian, and what I might challenge you with. Am I working for money or am I working for God? And then God gives me the money after, you know, I, kind of as a matter of fact. Matthew 6, 31, don't worry about these things, saying, what are we going to eat, drink, or wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbeliever. What's that mean? Unbelievers are going to work for money. They get a degree for money. They get a second job for money. But listen to what Jesus said. Your heavenly Father knows you have needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, or first, live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. So don't go to work for money, Christian. Go to work for God, and then God will bless you with money to take care of you. Because worldliness is all about the heart. And we fall into this worldly trap almost unconsciously because we're just doing just like everybody else. Listen, when the devil knocks at your door with temptation, tries to pull you like he did Jesus, it needs to buck up inside us just like it did Jesus. It is written, get behind me, Satan. Come on, say it with me. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. It's good today. I want you to bow your heads. And here's what I've been praying all week. 
that there would be a voice within my voice that the Holy Spirit would be talking to you today the last thing I want to do is put any condemnation on you it's not of God but conviction of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful precious gift and I simply want to encourage you friend whatever God has put his finger on in your life say yes if the Holy Spirit has made you a bit uncomfortable with the level of worldliness in your life make some changes if there's a tug of war in your heart between God and the world wealth, power, fame only one can be first would you just reaffirm to Christ that you want him to be first he didn't want any competition don't give your life and waste it for things that have no eternal value seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will take care of you and this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Now, I want to have one last prayer before we go. In just a minute, when we close our services, and weekends is we'll have everybody stand. We'll prayer team will come forward, and they'll sing a chorus through one time, and then we'll be dismissed. But in this prayer time, I want to give opportunity for a couple things. Maybe, maybe you should have come up earlier for whatever reason and you didn't. Listen, we'll pray for anything. Like Pastor Mike said, particularly if you're sick, if there's needs in your life, if someone that you know is in trouble, let us pray with you. But maybe this message has, God has put his finger on something. Maybe something has a hook in your life. It may be worldliness, but it, it, it may be something else that's tempting you, something else that's really pulling you trying to pull you down. It may be a, a, a person that you're in relationship with, somebody that's just wrong for you. Every time you get around them, they pull you back into the world in the ditch. You may want to have prayer with somebody. Let them pray with you that you could break away from that thing. You know there's spiritual ties in all this? The devil, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, he's behind these tricks. He baits the hook. Well, well maybe you're like the fish that's bit the hook, and, and you need to get off. You need somebody to cut the line so you can spit it out. That's Jesus, friend could happen in the place of prayer but also you may be hearing your issue what you need prayer for today is to get right with God maybe when I was talking about the world it resonated with you like it has with me that I'll never be happy with the things of the world and I want to tell you I've been there 18 19 years of age long time ago for me but I was trying to find happiness in a lot of worldly ways I drank I smoked and I did inhale my friends were worldly, uh, partying defined my life. I had one girlfriend after another, and I'd do everything I could. I was in college, I was on a scholarship, my dad gave me a new car, all these things that you think would make you happy. But I would find myself just kind of crying when I was alone sometimes because something was missing. I'm telling you, weeping, 19 years of age, all this stuff. Everybody's my friend, very popular. But there was a hole in my heart, and I'd try to fill it up, and the more I put in it, it just would run out. And I'd wake up in the morning and have to do it all over again because it was not giving me what I was searching for. And a Gideon came to me when I joined the Navy. See, I thought if I just got away from home, if that would be it, if I ran away from my problems, if I started over. Well, I want to tell you, friends, I ran into the arms of God. And maybe you're here this morning and it's not an accident, but you need exactly what I'm talking about. You've tried to find happiness in your life through the world, and it's just not there. You'll never find your happiness through another man or another woman. You'll never find it through money. You'll never find it through education, degrees. You'll never find it through accomplishments. Happiness and meaning in life come from a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. 
And my friend Jesus has extended his arms to all of us on the cross 2,000 years ago. He gives us this invitation that if we would receive him and follow him, he would change our life. He said he came to give us abundant life to fill the hole in the bucket. Come on and make life worth living. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I need that. And I feel something in my heart pulling me and drawing me to, to Christ, to give my life to him, to surrender my life to him. I want prayer this morning. Listen, if that's you, friend, we'd be honored to pray for you. If you're here and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God today, would you pray? Lift your hand real quickly so I'll know who you are. Do it real quickly. God bless both you girls over here. Somebody else. God bless you there in the back. Somebody else. I want to get my life right with God. God bless you way in the back. God bless you. And God bless you too, dear. God bless you too, buddy. Somebody else today. You say, why are we raising our hand? Because if you don't make a step to Christ in church, you'll never do it out in the world tomorrow. See, this is not just a ticket to heaven that you put in your billfold. It's turning your life around. Anyone else today to say, I want to get right with God. Someone else over here? Yeah, a couple more. God bless you too, sir. God bless you too. And God bless you too, buddy. God bless you too, ma'am. Listen, some of you, God bless you too, pal. And you too, ma'am. Anybody else this morning? I want to get right with God. I want to get right with God. God bless you too. God bless you. I see your hand. A young man over there. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you too, buddy. I want to get life with God. My, my life is not what it's intended to be. God has more for my life. Anybody else? I'm telling you, this is a starting place. This is a starting place this morning. You that lifted your hand, listen, we're all, let's everybody stand to our feet. But I wanted all you that just lifted your hand to get right with Christ. Come on to the altar. Let us pray for you. Our prayer team is coming. Others that need prayer for anything, you come and let us pray for you. Give another big hand. All those people that raised their hand to become a Christian. Listen, if that was you, raising your hand to be right with Christ, you want to give your life to Jesus, just come and stand right here. We've got a couple groups here. You're coming to get your life right with Christ. Just stand right over here. Come on, many lifted your hands. We want to give you something. We're going to pray for you. See, our, our clapping doesn't save you. Your prayer of invitation to invite Christ into your life, that's what saves you. you want to get, get, get your life right with God. All right, listen, I'm going to turn you over. We need, I need a lot of workers up here. But here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to have a prayer together. And the prayer is an invitation. It's like a gift. You know, on Christmas, look under the Christmas tree, and there's probably a present with your name on it. Well, that present's been under there, you know. It could be a couple days or a couple weeks. It doesn't become yours till you open that gift. And that's kind of what it means to receive Christ in your heart. That you literally say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to change me. I'm going to give you my life. You receive Christ. We're going to pray for you. But then we want to give you something, too. I, I, there's this book, a tremendous book that changed your life. It's about what to do next. You know, if you were to come to me today and say, I think I want to, I don't know, I want to be, a, I want to be a, an architect. And I'd say, well, great. You know, you got to go to school. You've got to take math classes. You need to get in Morris Elementary to get a good start. There's something you do to reach your goal. Well, this book will talk to you about reading the Bible. It'll talk about prayer and going to church. It'll talk about uh, getting baptized. We love to baptize you next week. And this will help you as well. We'll give you that right after. But right now, let's just bow our heads. And uh, we're all, and everybody in this building is going to say this prayer together. This is your prayer, hopefully from your heart. I want you to say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for loving me. I don't understand it, but I sure do need it. I've made a mess out of my life, and I hadn't found happiness. All the, all the places I've searched for it have left me empty. So Jesus, I'm coming to you surrendering my life I ask you to take control and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior 
forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. And change my life. I want to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give them a big hand today. Give them a big hand. God bless you. God bless each one of you making this step to Christ. God bless each one of you. Now listen, Pastor Joe's going to help us here. Get your materials and come right over here. We'll just leave them here. This is a start for you today. Would you take these books and these materials? Let us help you with the next step. Come next Sunday. Let us baptize you in water. Keep going. Read your Bible. Keep praying. Keep coming to church. Praise the Lord. He's going he's gonna to share it with you. Hey, it's a great day, wasn't it? Pastor Mike is going to have the little clothes here, and if there's any other prayer that's needed, he'll, he'll meet you. Huh? Amen. We're going to have a couple more of our altar team come up here. But if you're on our altar team at all, uh, we're going to need some help over here. Make sure everybody has some one-on-one -on -one prayer. But again, before you leave, if you need healing in your body, I believe if you just come to the altar where they're worshiping, we'll have somebody come by, disagree with you real quick, and whatever you need. Amen? Otherwise, we'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you. If you need any prayer needs, just hang around. Just worship the Lord. God bless. I give myself away.